Well, it might well be that you are dealing with some really big questions in your life at the moment. Uh, Questions like, is my job secure? Is my health secure? Are my parents or my grandparents going to be okay in the longer term? If you've got kids or if you are a kid, maybe you're asking some big questions as well. Maybe big questions like, when is soccer going to start again for you or netball or footy or whatever it is uh, that you're involved in? There's plenty of big questions that might be going unanswered at the moment in your life. As we look at Romans 10, there's a big question that's being answered in this chapter. And it's a big question that overshadows every other question we have in life. And the big question is, how can anyone be friends with God? How can anyone be saved? And Romans 10 answers the greatest question that any of us should ever have in life. So let's have a look. We're going to start right at the start in verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, I want you to remember the background of this from the last couple of weeks in Romans 9. Romans 9 spoke a lot about the sovereignty of God and the fact that God is in control of everything that happens in his world, including the human heart and whether or not people are either hardened or whether or not God has mercy on them. God is sovereign. That's what Romans 9 was all about. God is the one who rules over all things in his world. Now, what do we say in response to that? We would normally say, then if God is in control, it doesn't matter what we do. What does Paul say? And consequently, what does God say in the opening to chapter 10? Uh, God says, God is sovereign, therefore pray. That's what Paul's saying in this verse. His heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. See, Paul says, because God is sovereign, he'll be committed in prayer for the Israelites, for people that he desperately wants to see being saved. Are you committed to pray for the lost people that you know? Because God in his sovereignty will save some. If you were to look at a boiling kettle and think to yourself, why is the kettle boiling? You could say it's because electricity is running through an element The element's heating up. The water, in turn, is heating up because of that hot element inside the kettle and the water is reaching boiling point. That'd be true. It would also be true that you turn the kettle on. Both are true. Why are people saved? Because God chooses to change human hearts and because what people do matters. Both are equally true. Now, we might well say, well, that doesn't fit our logic. But God is not bound by our logical system. He is free to do whatever he wants to do within his world. And while we might say because God is sovereign, we won't bother praying, we don't need to do anything because God is in control. In reality, God rules over every human heart and he hardens some and he shows mercy to others. So logically, We ought to be people who pray because we know that God is capable of changing human hearts and saving some. And that same God who is able to change the human heart 
is the one who uses human prayers in his plans, in his sovereign plans. I want to tell you a story about Billy Graham's last evangelistic mission trip to the UK in 1989. In preparation for Billy Graham coming to England, uh, local churches in England asked people to get into prayer triplets with a couple of other Christian people and to think of three people each, so nine people, that each prayer triplet would be committed uh, to praying for those people that they knew that hadn't turned to Jesus in trust. Nine people they'd commit to praying for for an entire year. As it turns out, many of those prayer triplets realised that all nine of those people that they had been praying for for a year had come to faith, even before Billy Graham had gotten to the UK. That's because the sovereign God who changes human hearts uses human prayers in his plans. And Paul prays for Israel because he is passionately desiring them to be saved and because he knows that a sovereign God can change human hearts. Have a look with me now at Romans 10, verse 2 and 3. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul's fellow Israelites were passionate and zealous about their relationship with God, but they were passionately wrong. You see, passion and sincerity is worthless if it's not matched with truth. You can stand on the side of the road and think to yourself, no traffic is coming, and walk across that road, but what matters is not your passion or your sincerity about the belief that no traffic is coming. What really matters is the truth about whether or not a bus is coming down the road. Truth is more important than passion or zeal. And so we ought to know the truth about the gospel because passion and enthusiasm won't save anyone. It won't make anyone a friend with God. We need to know truth. And the truth is in these verses. Have a look with me at verse 4 and 5. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Most of the people of Israel wanted to be righteous through their own works. And if they were to do that, then they had to keep the law, the law that Moses had brought to them, all of the time, in every respect. That's the same for us. If any of us want to be righteous through our own works, then we need to keep all of God's law all of the time. And that's hopeless for all of us because none of us can do it. But our hope is actually in verse 4. See, Christ completes or fulfills the law for us. That is, Jesus both completes the righteous requirement of the law, those moral requirements or standards that God sets for people to keep. Jesus is the only one who's able to keep all of those righteous requirements of the law. 
But there's also a requirement in the law that if anyone was to fall short and fail to keep God's law, then there needed to be sacrifices. And if you read through God's law, there are all sorts of sacrifices for all sorts of sin. There needed to be the blood of an animal that would substitute for you if you sinned in order to stand between you and a holy God, in order to bear the wrath of God for your sin, the life of an animal was given and the blood of the animal would make atonement, would appease the wrath of God. And so Jesus fulfills the requirement of the law for that sacrifice also. He's the only one who's perfectly righteous in and of himself all of the time and he's the perfect sacrifice for our sins as well. Christ completes the law or fulfills all of the requirements of the law. Now, that's good news for us who cannot keep the law from ourselves. And as we move on, we see the content that we are to believe if we are to be saved. Here is the answer to the question, how can someone be saved? How can someone be right with God? Romans 10 verse 9 to 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There's two things that we need to do in these verses and very simply it is repent and believe. That's the response that we always have to have to the good news of the gospel, to the news of what Jesus has done for us. Firstly, we're to declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We're to recognise that Jesus is king over us and Lord over us. That means I'm not king over me and my career is not the Lord or the king over me. Money is not Lord over me. Jesus is Lord And that is repentance. When we turn to Jesus in trust, when we say Jesus is king over us and all of the other things that we used to serve are no longer Lord or king over us, that's what it means to repent. And we're to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Our great hope is in the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead confirms that God is able to raise us from the dead also. And God promises that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will be raised from the dead to receive eternal blessings. That's faith. That's the two responses that the Bible always describes to the good news of the gospel. They're the two things that we need to do every time in order to be saved. So how can someone be saved? Repent and believe. Declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There's a saying that you may have heard of before. It goes like this. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. The idea is that you can example the gospel to people by the way that you live and it may not be necessary to actually speak any words to explain that gospel because of your way of life. There's another another saying that I much prefer, which I think is more accurate. It says, 
saying preach the gospel daily, use words if necessary, is like saying feed the hungry, use food if necessary. We need to know gospel content. Truth is essential. God's truth is essential if anyone is to be saved. We need it, but the world around us needs it too. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But we need to actually hear that message of the gospel if we're ever going to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Let's see the explanation in verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If God is to save anyone, people need to hear the message of the gospel. They need to hear that Jesus is Lord. They need to hear that he died for their sins and that he rose to life again so that they can be declared right with God. And if, those, if that message of the gospel is necessary, if words are necessary, then people are necessary. Preach the gospel, yes, and use words all the time because they are necessary if people are ever going to understand the gospel and call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. What does that mean for us? We ought to be people who are committed to taking this message of the gospel to our world. We need to be people committed to evangelism in our local area, in the city of Orange. So be a missionary right here, wherever it is that God has you. Be a missionary to your family, bringing the good news of Jesus to those people in your family who haven't heard that gospel before. Be a missionary to your schoolmates in the schoolyard because those school friends need to hear the gospel or they will not be saved. Take the gospel to your work colleagues. Speak about it in the mealroom. Take it to your uni friends in lectures and tutes because if they don't hear about Jesus, they cannot be saved. And don't think just about mission and evangelism right here in Orange, but think about the gospel going out beyond Orange to the rest of Australia and across the world. Be a supporter of the work of the gospel going out. I want to suggest a few ways that we can do this. Firstly, we ought to be people who are deeply prayerful for the lost, like Paul was in verse 1. We ought to be people who recognise the dire situation that people are in if they haven't come to Jesus in trust. And that ought to motivate us to be very prayerful for those people who are lost and outside of God's mercy at the moment. So pray. Secondly, give to mission and be supporters of mission. If you give to OEC, 10% of what you give goes to the work of taking the gospel to our world, both here in Orange and more broadly in other church plants in Australia and across the world as we support mission. 10% of your giving goes to the work of the gospel going out to a lost world. So give to mission as you give to OEC, that's happening. But think about giving directly to the work of mission. 
and alongside of that, be a supporter of missionaries, be involved in knowing what's going on so that that can guide and shape your prayers. But also be a missionary, be someone who has the beautiful feet, who take the wonderful message of the gospel to the world. There's hundreds of us here at OEC who are all saved because someone came and brought the message of the gospel to us. Now, our world has many, many countries that are gospel poor, where people can't hear that word of the gospel, the word about Jesus being both Lord and Saviour. And they have no ability to call Jesus Lord and to turn away from their sins and to have faith that God raised him from the dead because they've never heard the story of the gospel. So be someone who goes to the world. It may be that in your circumstances you are perfectly able to head off to some place in the world that desperately needs to hear this message of the gospel. We support missionaries in Europe, in uh, countries that used to have the gospel but have turned away from it and vastly lost the gospel in those countries. It may be that you can leave Australia and go to Europe and live in Europe so that you could take the message of the gospel to people who need to hear it. We also support the work of missionaries in remote villages. And it may be that you too can go to a remote village and live there long term so that the villagers have the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel and be saved. Friends, there's a real sense of urgency in this. Unless someone goes with the message of the gospel, no one will be able to hear that gospel. No one will be able to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and no one will be saved. So go and be the person who takes the message of the gospel and has beautiful feet because of it and take that life-saving, life-changing word of hope about Jesus to people who need to hear it. Now, as we finish up in chapter 10, it's pretty common for many of us to be struggling with the idea that if God is a God who condemns some to hell, then how can he be just? Not only how can he be just, how can he be just but how is he right to deal with Israel in the way that he has, given that many of Israel have turned away from trusting Jesus? They're seeking to obtain their own righteousness, a righteousness they can never get for themselves, that righteousness they hope to get by obedience to the law, but none of us, no human being, can ever do. And the big question is, how can God still be a good and merciful God if he chooses to harden most of Israel and to deliver his wrath on most of Israel? Well, there's a brief answer to this at the end of chapter 10. There are answers throughout chapter 9, 10 and 11. This isn't the exhaustive answer, but there is an answer that's clear here at the end of chapter 10. Have a look with me at verse 21. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. As we finish today, remember that God is kind and loving and merciful. All day long he has held out his hands ready to welcome home any of the people of Israel who would turn back to him in trust. 
All day means century upon century upon century when God was ready and waiting for Israel to turn back to him in faith. Jesus describes that same posture of God with open arms ready to welcome anyone to him that would turn to him. Jesus describes this well. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. All day long, Jesus holds out his hands in welcome to anyone who would turn to him in faith and be saved. The answer to the biggest question that any of us should have, how can we be saved? There's only one way. Turn to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith and anyone at all will be welcomed with open arms by our loving and merciful God. Let's pray. We praise you, Father God, for those that you've sent to us with beautiful feet, with the message of the gospel. We remember our scripture teachers, our kids' church teachers, our youth group leaders, our mums, dads, aunts, uncles, pastors, friends and workmates, whoever it was that shared the gospel with us. And we give you thanks for them and the wonderful message of salvation they brought to us. Lord God, as you send us to other people, use our words, our speaking this wonderful message of hope through faith in Christ. Use our words to save many and do this so that your name would be known and honoured and glorified amongst those people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.